Hey, I'm Deb, Mama at Sass and Smalls. You're listening to Sass and Small Talk. We're going to talk about all the things from finding ways to integrate a creative entrepreneurial spirit into family life, to friendships, to the chaotic and wonderful world of kids, the mess, the cleanups, chasing the kids while chasing the dream. Join us here every week as we continue to find perfection in the imperfection of family life while keeping things as sassy as they've always been before the drool, meltdowns, and potty mishaps came into the picture. I'm always looking for a way to fight through the funk of mamahood and find my sass, and I know I'm not alone. If you're done with a hot mess and ready to cook up some hot ness, mama, I got you. Grab your poison, throw on your comfy, and let's talk. Darling, I need my sass back. Hello, my lovelies. Thank you so much for joining us here at Sass and Small Talk. I am super excited because this is a topic that's very near and dear to my heart. This is something I have always experienced on a personal level. And I know so many friends and parents and mamas, specifically mamas, who have gone through this at least once in their lives as mamas, or maybe even a million times, or continue to experience. Let's just talk about overparenting our kids in front of other people. It's it's a common thing. It's what we do. Since the day I became a parent, I've been engaging in overparenting. And I am not proud to say this. But let's fast forward to this evening. I had bumped into an article um, under, it was in a group called Moms Against Racism because, you know, we should all be against racism. And as a woman of Asian descent, this was particularly interesting to me. I read this article about how the idea of table manners could in fact be a form of racism. And hear me out. I know it sounds a little crazy, but in the last few weeks, uh, my daughter has been spending a little bit more time with a friend of hers in our bubble, uh, another fellow homeschooler, and they're super duper close. And it's been amazing to see their relationship, their friendship really blossom. My daughter, and we'll get more into this at a later time, but my daughter is, you know, typically a pretty low key reserved person. She doesn't easily warm up. It takes her a while to warm up. And it's in fact taken a while to warm up to this girl just because it's just her nature. And now they're the closest of friends and it just means so much to her mom and I. She's a very good friend of mine. So we've built this trust and I've dro- I dropped her off at her friend's house. And of course, with much hesitation, I left my little big girl. And we have actually been in the last few weeks, knowing that she's spending more time in another person's house, a good friend of ours, of course, but another person's house, nonetheless, we've been trying to look at her readiness to be in another person's house. So one thing in particular that my husband has been focusing on is her table manners. She's a kid. All right. And I don't think they come out of the womb rude or inconsiderate, but I'm pretty sure that it's something that we have to hone into her and teach her to not be, okay? I feel like the natural instinct when it comes to, let's say, table manners is to just get what you want and put it in your mouth and you know use your hands and do what you do. The article was interesting though, because it was talking about how different cultures use different tools to eat. 
and show in different ways their appreciation of food. The westernized culture, it's, you know, you 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 ask to be excused to get off the table, you have a fork and a knife, and then this is how you eat it, this is how you hold it, this is how you should present yourself at the table. And this is something that I wasn't necessarily brought up in, but my friends were, and so I would go to friends' houses and I picked up some of those practices. And I appreciate those practices because that's what we do. We chew with our mouth closed. If we ask for seconds, we always say please, or we wait till we're offered food. And ever since the top of the pandemic, you know, it's been just kind of a free for all here at the Bellino household. And it's not like we just let our kids get away with everything, but we've just kind of let go a little bit because we, you know, we really feel that we just have to keep our heads above water. And If that means just to keep the peace, we have the tablet on once in a while or we watch TV or we're sitting in the playroom having dinner or we don't sit in the same place. Everything is changed um, every day. We kind of add variety to our seating arrangements or eating arrangements or eating style arrangements. And so not surprisingly, my daughter's picked up some habits, one of which is to eat with her hands. So when she eats chicken, she'll just kind of eat with her hands. No big deal, right? But my husband hasn't been a fan of it. So he would correct her almost, almost daily. He'd be like, uh, uh, um, pick up your fork. Come on. You know better than that. And he would say that all the time. This is the kind of the conversation that we have when she forgets. And we just kind of, all right, right, right. Sit up, sit up. Come on, come on. You know, let's, let's have some respect for the food. I mean, this is something that we've always kind of practiced at home. And when I read this article, I found it so interesting because it brought up the idea of eating with our hands and how we are taught in the Westernized culture to, you know, eat a certain way. And then in some Asian cultures, we are Asian, some Asian cultures eat with their hands. It's just a thing we do. The tool is your hands. Some Asian cultures have pronounced sounds as they eat to show their appreciation of the food. It's just a beautiful, wonderful thing, and yet it's not necessarily accepted in our culture. Doesn't make it right. Doesn't make it wrong. It just makes it different. And so I found it really struck a chord when this article talked about how it could be practicing a little racism when you talk about, well, that's wrong. Don't eat like that. And yet we practice this in our own home. And it got me thinking about our appearances to other people and how we overcorrect her, even when people aren't around. But when it comes to exercising behavior or rehearsing or practicing or teaching behavior, modeling behavior that we expect her to show another family or in public, it always has to do with being corrected and being reminded. And it's always repeated and it's there's a negative connotation to it. It's like, smarten up. You know better than this, right? It's that kind of vernacular. And I associated it to the many, many times I went on playdates in the past and how we would be with other moms or I would be with other moms and I had a toddler who was very handsy and in your face and she loved to hug and it was very affectionate. And that probably explains why she's so much more reserved right now. Because when she was younger, she would hug, hold hands. One time she was even accused of choking a little girl because she hugged her too tight. And the little girl ran to her dad and said, she choked me. It was moments like that. Instead of taking the opportunity to 
model behavior for her or taking note and then later discussing it with her or bringing her off to the side and and just kind of reminding her gently. I chose that moment to berate her and embarrass her. I'm talking, this is a two, three-year-old, okay? And I would correct her because I I would puff my chest out, so to speak. Actually, I'm sure I, I physically puffed my chest out and I'd go, all right, I'm going to show the mamas who's boss. I'm going to show this child who's boss. This child's inability to take into account other people's bubble and space is not my fault. I do correct her. Watch. I do correct her. And so I what? I puff my chest out. I start overparenting her. I tell her what to do. I go as far as shaming her, embarrassing her. And she would take it. She'd correct her behavior and all is well with the play date. And everyone's happy. And meanwhile, in the depths of my soul, I feel like absolute crap. I look at my child and she's going on her merry way. And, you know, every single play date or every single moment that I had to correct her to the point where I I almost showed off my skills as a disciplinarian parent, because I felt at that time, I was really just learning at the time. I felt like if my kid is acting like this, I got to, I got to get on it. I got to get on it. I got to show these moms that it's a one-off. I have nothing to do with it and I know how to correct it. Let me show you. That's exactly what went through my head every single time my daughter would make a little, you know, boo-boo. Okay. She'd accidentally trip someone because she wasn't careful. She was, she was always a little bit clumsy. Okay. I mean, I mean, I know we have to be careful with how we term our kids, but you know, she was pretty clumsy. I mean, she would, she would trip and she'd fall and someone fall. It would be this domino effect and little kids would fall behind her in front of her and beside her. And she was always kind of the center of it. Right. And I'm not trying to shame my daughter right now. It was just how it was. And it's okay. Cause she was still a toddler. What do you expect? Right. But for me, because I was trying to make it appear that not only am I keeping up with the Joneses, I am the damn Joneses. All right. I am the cat's meow when it comes to parents. Look at what I can do. So I would just do it. And every single time I saw her face as a response, as a reaction to the way I parented her that moment, which by the way, was never, never the way I parented her at home. Believe you me, I didn't, except when I was quote unquote training her to be a certain way. Or when I discussed with her before we went and played it, I'd turn around while we're driving. We'd be at a red light. I turn around. I'm like, remember, keep your hands to yourself. This is what you have to do. Blah, 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 blah. And I would just give her a list of stuff that she would inevitably forget to do five minutes later when we arrived. Cause she'd be so excited. She'd jump on the front and I kind of felt like every time I corrected her, every time I embarrassed her, every time I showed the kiddo who was boss in front of my mama friends, because in the back of my mind, I would think, but look at their daughters. They're perfect. They're well-behaved. They're all pristine. They put toys away. They're not clumsy. They're not messy. They're obedient. They're this, blah, 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 blah. And then I would be like, head explosion must be the same right? Must be the same. And they never told me this. I mean, I had a couple moms where they'd be like, well, my child is so perfect and blah, blah, blah. Well, those friendships are gone. So we don't have to talk about that. But when I'm talking about just an everyday play date with great people, I put it on myself. I imagine the scenario. They are judging me. They're looking at me. They're looking down at me because my child is acting a certain way. And every time I corrected her, I would look at her face 
and it got progressively more muted. Her eyes would start to blink. Her her shoulders would start to droop. Her face would start to get more stoic. And by the time, you know, telling you, mamas, I'm trying really hard not to cry because I look back at my child and her school years and it's hard not to blame myself. And I I work, I'm working on that. It's hard not to blame myself for a child I may or may not have influenced to become this stoic kind of child when she was at school. I felt like I created that because I had continued to strip away from her joy and her animated self. I did. I, I, I felt like for many years, she would be so excitable and so herself and quirky and different. And I would just dim her light in front of everybody. And I'm not saying I regret correcting her behavior. I'm, I'm not regretful of that. I'm regretful that I did it in front of other people at her expense for my benefit. That's exactly what I did. I looked at my child in the eye and used a tone. I'm not not saying I swore at her, slapped her, pushed her around, or I didn't bully her per se. But if I really break it down, you know, I was acting. I was acting and I over-parented. There was a moment where my, my chest puffed so hard that I felt pain in my chest. And I'm wondering, looking back, was that guilt? Was that my own shame? Or was that truly because I puffed my damn chest out? Because I wanted them to see that I got this under control, right? So this is what I did. I realized when I started seeing, it got worse and worse. I started to see the results of my constant correction and the stress I felt from these playdates. I'm telling you, I felt such stress from these playdates. I would, I would almost dread it. And I never initiated them because I was so scared about what would happen in these particular playdates. And I found that with every playdate, I got smaller and smaller. I felt smaller and smaller. And no one created that but myself. No one created that dynamic, that fear that accompanied these playdates. No one put that on me except myself. But it was a result of me looking at the result of my overparenting. I would look at my daughter and she just became more stoic and less happy and less herself and more obedient. Oh yeah, obedient. She did exactly what I wanted her to do. But then eventually she became more resistant. She would do the exact opposite of what I asked her to do, the exact opposite. And then what would be the result of that? I would over, over parent. And then the cycle would continue. And then I would just, my head would be exploding while everybody's having tea and happy and smiling. The whole time I, I'd be like, oh my God, I should have said this. I shouldn't have said this and this and this. Oh, it just, it was like I was on overdrive. I was on overparenting overdrive. It was just ridiculous. And I'd be so overwhelmed, I would end quickly. I would end the play date quickly, or I would find an excuse to leave. I'd bring my very resistant child. I'd have a moment where she just wouldn't leave. She wouldn't exit. Yet another opportunity to just puff my chest out and show who's boss. And each time I do it, my heart just breaks a little more until it became a routine for me. End the date abruptly, go in the car, buckle her up, take a deep breath at the wheel, 
and just cry. And she wouldn't know because, you know, she was a toddler, so she didn't really know what was going on. She just knew at the moment that every time I kept overparenting and showing who's boss, at that moment, that's when she would feel the embarrassment, the sadness. But then later she'd kind of forget and life just went on, but not for me. I remember how I felt at the end of every play date. It was exhausting. So I started to just back away from play dates all around. I just, I was like, no, not, not for me. I'm done. I'm done. And I would make excuses. I'd even leave town. I used to do baby styling when I was a baby stylista. I would jump at any and every opportunity to get the heck off this island and numb myself with work. And, you know, and the beautiful thing of that is every kid was pretty much a diva. Every kid was, you know, the cat's meow. So really, my kid didn't really stand out. And so it was easier to parent her there because we were too busy looking at the lights and listening to the music and, and doing the thing. And I, I was in my happy place. And that's where I kind of felt I needed to be. And every time I come back to my, to my city, um, I, I wouldn't jump at the opportunity to see my friends In fact, I started losing contact with them because I didn't like the way it made me feel about being my daughter's mother. I just didn't like who I became. And I realized that's when I was going to restructure the way I was choosing to parent my child in front of other people. Because really, at the end of the day, what does matter is how you parent your child at home, period. How you parent your child in general. But how I parented her on these playdates or in front of anyone. That, that means family too, friends, whoever, teachers, doctors, whomever my child would see. If she wasn't on her quote unquote best behavior, then how I parented her that moment was going to be that part-time parenting that she would make a mental list of. And she did, even at that ripe old age of three she would start to make a mental checklist, or at least I did. And I think, you know, I'm not going to keep shaming myself and telling myself, this is all my fault. I'm a terrible mother. No, this is not what this podcast is about. It's about me being real with you. I mean, this is what I did when I overparented. And this is why I don't think it's a great idea. And I saw the results of it. Then school started and, you know, kindergarten, grade one. And that's a whole other dynamic because you're faced with different types of parents, parents you may or may not choose to be friends with, right? So that's where you really start fighting the urge to overparent. And guess what? Right up until the pandemic, I still caught myself overparenting. I let go a little bit and I found that there were ways around the system. If I knew she was going to be a certain way with certain kids, I just kind of made sure that I was kind of around just for safety reasons. I later found out that she had so many other things going on. She was really dealing with a lot of stuff and we'll get into it another time, but we had a lot of grief in our life. My home was filled with sadness because of all the losses we had with our babies and it was multiple losses. I'm talking nine. And by that time, she had attended three funerals for her siblings. She's had it rough, okay? She's had it rough. I'm not going to sugarcoat it, but I'm also not going to excuse it. It's just, that's just how it was. So I kind of knew if I didn't want to overparent in front of my friends and I didn't want to embarrass her in front of her friends, well, let's just remove the situation altogether. So 
one of the things I would do is I made sure if she was in a mood, I wouldn't let them have two-hour play dates. Her time limit was two hours. Once she gets to the two-hour point, we're going to start to see meltdowns. We're going to start seeing behavior stuff. And I had to respect that. And then I did respect that. And as soon as I decided that there were actual tangible ways to fix this situation without having to overparent, things got better. Things got so much better. But there were off moments. I still, here's a prime example is I had my son. He was just, you know, maybe seven months old. He's still a little one. And my daughter just loves him. Like to this day, they're just, she's so crazy about him. And she had basically transferred her excitability for other people and just the handsiness and the loving and the hugging and all that, she transferred it onto her brother. She doesn't do it with her friends anymore. That's eased a lot of my parenting stress, but she does it with her brother now. And, you know, he's learned to be a very resilient little boy. And yes, we do correct it, but we, we don't do it to a point where she constantly feels like she's at fault or she's a terrible person. We just kind of remind her, you know, space, you know, respect and, and, and acknowledgement and all that stuff, right? And he's learned to fight his own battles. So that's all good too. We'll talk about lazy parenting another time. But essentially, we were at a park and my daughter was so excited and she was showing off to her friend. This was a very good friend of ours, and uh, but we hadn't been on a play date in a while. And this was even just an after school thing. It wasn't even a play date. And she got so excited, she pulled on her brother's legs as she was swinging him. And, you know, I think typically I would have just, I just kind of go, okay, let's, let's, let's take it easy. Take it easy. You know, let's, he doesn't love it. And to be honest, my son didn't even complain about it. Just as she was pushing him, she would pull on his leg. All I could think in the back of my head is, my friend is judging me because I'm not correcting her loud enough or I'm not correcting her. And so guess what I did? Before anyone complained about anything, no parent said anything. My, actually, my friend would make little comments like, oh, is he okay? Oh, that was a, that was a lie, you know? And that's what friends do because they're so concerned about the baby. Everyone's concerned about the baby. But the baby wasn't complaining. He was just like swinging with glee, right? And so she's just doing her thing. He's super happy. And yet, in the back of my mind, I had five pairs of eyes on my head. And I imagine every mom that was at that park, and especially my friend who was concerned about my baby, I decided that everybody was judging me. So I puffed my chest out. I haven't puffed. At that point, I hadn't puffed my chest out in, in, in a couple years. I was pretty proud of myself because I hadn't attended play dates pretty much. And of course, I used the, the baby as an excuse. But truly, it was the same reasons as I had when she was three years old. So there you have it. So I took that moment to say, if you do that one more time, we're out of here. Okay, first off, I used this tone that I honestly, I never use at home. I don't. I mean, I try not to unless I absolutely have to. But I try not to use this accusatory, I'm boss, do what I say. If you don't, you're done kind of tone. I, I don't usually use that. But I did. I puffed my chest out. Everyone heard it, especially my daughter. And so guess what she did? She did it again because that's what they do. And it was because she was embarrassed. And so guess what I did? Well, I got to follow through now. I got to show them who's boss now, right? I got to show her who's boss. So I literally grabbed my baby, pulled him away from her like she had the plague, like my daughter had the plague. And I literally shamed her and left her and let her stand by the swing, the empty moving swing while my son was saved 
I victimized my baby who was just as thrilled to be in the position under the care of his eight-year-old sister at the time. He was just as thrilled to have her next to him, pushing her and pulling on his leg or what have you. And I had to just follow through because, you know, you just have to do it, right? And guess what she did? She just collapsed. She just dropped on the ground in the middle of the park and screamed and cried and I was embarrassed. And then my, my friend, who was really just trying to help, right, grabbed my baby. And I went and I sat with my daughter. And I did this embrace, which I usually do with her. I just hugged her. While I was hugging her, it was so ironic. Like, there was just no consistency. I just kept reprimanding her. Why'd you keep doing it? I told you, we're going to leave. If you don't. And she was so confused because, again, this is not how I usually parent. If we were just our family, we're at the park, I would have had to warn her maybe three, four times. That's just how life works. Okay. Some kids listen right away. Some kids don't. It's just a fact of life. They outgrow it. They get over it. At the end of the day, she wasn't killing him. She wasn't hurting him. She was just kind of affectionately yanking on his leg a bit. No one was hurt. No one was crying, but boom, I had to decide for him that he was the victim to her impulsive behavior. But the truth was I was just showing off. I was just showing off. I was just overparenting. And once again, I saw my daughter collapse. This was the first time I'd seen her scream and cry, especially in front of her friend. And I felt so ashamed. We walked away together. Everyone had left at that point. The whole time I was like, oh my God, was there a grand exodus because of us? And my friend even said, actually, no one, I don't think anyone noticed, to be honest, you know. She did though. And that was important enough to me that one person saw it. Oh, and then... You'll never believe what I did after that. We, we go to the car, we're doing our thing. And I said, hey, you know what? I, th- I really think you should send them an apology video. Can you believe I did that? I made her do an apology video, a cute one, right? Sent her friend, you know, sorry, I lost it. You know, I, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't even remember what I got her to do. And she was lighthearted about it because I had actually waited till later. But you know how horrible that is? Now, now I'm looking back and I'm like, did I really just do that? Did I just extend the overparenting on digital form? Really? Did I just do that? Guess what, mamas? I did do that. And I'm slapping my wrist right now because no, no, it's not okay. 2020 hindsight. I have it so clear in my head. I don't remember many things in my life. I really don't. I don't even remember what I had for breakfast this morning, but I remember how I felt the moment I did the things that I did when I decided to overparent my child who really wasn't doing that much. She really wasn't. And no one got hurt. But guess who got hurt at the end? She did. Oh, yes, I had guaranteed hurt to happen. And why? It's because I chose once again to overparent. But guess what happened shortly after that? The pandemic. That's when we had to hide. Guess who's happy right now? Guess who doesn't have major behavioral issues right now? Hmm. Guess who isn't yanking on anyone's leg right now? Okay, don't get me wrong. She's still a little handsy. You know, she's overly affectionate, at least with her brother. But she's just a happy kid. And I keep thinking, wow, the pandemic's been so good for her. It's been so great. And it has been. But part of that is because I haven't seen many people. I've had a chance to sit back, be introspective, be honest with myself, and realize the mistakes that I've made as a parent. 
and not to shame myself, not to say, ah, tisk tisk, you're a terrible mom. It was nothing like that. It was more like, well, I'm not going to be doing that again. That didn't work. I didn't like the way it made her feel. And I didn't like the way it made me feel. And if we're here at Sass and Small Talk talking about how to get your sass back, and we're talking about how to feel good about yourself, not just as a mom, but as a woman, as a human, it starts with what you do, what you can control to make yourself feel good. And that, my friends, did not make me feel good. It was like a temporary high to make me look good. I look good, but I didn't feel good. I would leave the situation with my tail between my legs. I would hide behind closed doors. I would hide behind windows. I would hide behind the computer screen. I would make excuses because I didn't trust myself. And now, luckily, we've had an opportunity to open up our bubble a little bit. It's been great practice. And I got to say, it's freeing to not overparent. It's freeing to be able to go, hey, listen, take it or leave it. This is my kid. This is how we run our household. This is how our family is. This is how I parent take it or leave it. And guess what? How you parent, I'm going to take it or leave it too. I respect you as well. And so I implore you, mamas, if you are an overparenter, I implore you to just be introspective. Take a step back and look as objectively at the situation as you can. Is it affecting your kids? Is it affecting your spouse? Is it affecting your other kids? Let's say there's one that receives most of the overparenting. You could look at their siblings and see, is this affecting them too? But most importantly, how does it make you feel? Be honest with yourself. I had to be. It was a cold, hard truth. And I feel so free to be able to admit it, not just to myself, but to all y'all. And the reason why is because I want you to know from my mistakes, one of the many, many things that held me back to true bliss and happiness as a mom was not worrying about what everyone else thinks. As soon as I let go of that, I felt a weight lifted and I want the same for you. And I want the same for your kids. You know, we look at our kids and we we keep diagnosing everyone. You you got ADHD, you got this, you got that, you got ODD. I mean, everyone has something. And sometimes, I'm not saying all the time, believe me, I'm not going to diminish diagnosis, believe me. Okay. You don't even know just how much I respect true medical diagnosis. I absolutely do. However, rather than running to the first doctor to say, what is wrong with my kid? Stop and think about your relationship. Think about what may have contributed, not caused it. I'm not here to shame you. That's for sure. Because I have no right to shame anyone. Believe me. But I just really encourage you to take a step back and Ask yourself a couple questions. That's all. Just do it. Talk things out with your partner. Maybe talk things out with your kids. Talk things out with their siblings. Whatever. Talk it out with your girlfriends. You'd be surprised how many other mamas feel you. You'd be surprised at how much they feel they puff their chests out. It's not worth it. The only time you should puff your chest out is when you can honestly say to yourself, I did something good. I did something good for me and I'm puffing my dang chest out for me. So with all that said, 
I hope you all have a wonderful week. Thanks again for joining us here at Sass and Small Talk. Darling, I need my sass back.